Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Observer's Notebook. This is a continuing series of our 75th anniversary of the Alpo. Yes, sir, we are 75 years old this year. This is the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. My name is Tim Robertson. I host the Observer's Notebook podcast, and I'm also the coordinator of the training program within the Alpo. The Association of Lunar Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the, the podcast. You can find out more at www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. Find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search your observer, Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, continuing on with our 75th anniversary celebration with astronomer, artist, Dr. Carlos Hernandez. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast, where we celebrate the 75th anniversary of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. And with us today, we're very honored to have astronomer, artist, Dr. Carl Hernandez. Carlos Hernandez, welcome to the podcast, Carlos. Thank you, Tim. It's my honor to be on the podcast. Thank you. It's great. It's a long time coming. We've been chatting back and forth for a while to get this done and finally get it done. It's good. I agree. So why don't you give everybody a little bit of background just about yourself before we get into it? Well, I am a, a physician. I'm a pediatrician. I'm, I'm living in uh, Central uh, California now, but I was actually uh, mostly raised in South Florida. And um, that's when I started really getting into the planetary observing when I was living in South Florida. I was about uh, 15, 16 years old when I had the uh, pleasure and the honor of meeting up with two great ALPO members of the past and, and current. Uh, Don Parker and wow. uh, a great imager, and uh, Jeff Bache, a great engineer astronomer who's, who's still with us. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was a teenager, I was a member of a astronomy organization, the Southern Cross in South Florida. Okay. And I actually met up with Don and Jeff because I was asking around about if anyone was interested in, in planetary observing at the time, <laughs> as I just, I had... Um, just obtained a uh, new, well, for me, a new Celestron 8-inch 
uh, Schmidt gas. And I wanted to uh, do some serious observing with it, uh, to especially the planets. And um, so they uh, took me on as a, you know, as a, a disciple, a disciple, and uh, <laughs> and I started to uh, learn the art, the art and science of uh, planetary observing. And with uh, Don Parker, I was uh, really blessed that he was the uh, one of the pioneers oh. in planet, planetary imaging. And so I I got to see the 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 embryo or the genesis of of uh, planetary uh, imaging. That I mean, we look at. Uh, uh, sites now like cloudy nights and and other uh, other websites around around the uh, internet and we see all these incredible images mm -hmm. taken by very talented imagers uh christopher go and right. uh and damien peach and other other outstanding imagers and uh but they actually built upon what Don and other uh early imagers were able to do uh first with um uh, film right. and Don started using film, and then he graduated to uh, to CCD camera. And ironically, he had to build his own camera at the beginning, and then later on obtained the uh, commercial ones. But it was just amazing what uh, Don was able to accomplish That's with true. the early. Yeah. Now, now, had you already all, always had an interest in astronomy, or was there something, some person or event that sparked your initial interest? Well, when I was about eight years old, um, a, I, I received a, a telescope, about a one-inch, one-and-a-half-inch telescope for Christmas, and I was always interested in the sciences, and mm -hmm. I started using that small telescope. Uh, you could call it a tabletop or a refractor, okay. and I used it to look at the moon and look at Jupiter and its satellites, you know, similar to what what Galileo was able to observe. And I could see Saturn, and I could just maybe make mm. out the rings. But it was just amazing that I just uh, started to look around and, and start seeing things. And then, then I graduated to a, uh, a three-inch, uh, four-inch, three-and-a-half-inch reflector, and I started to be able to see more and uh, looked looked at more objects. I started learning the deep sky, the, the different Messier objects, okay. and, and uh, different uh, uh, other deep sky objects of, uh, of interest, and uh, as well as the planets. And and then, you know, my, my interest gradually uh, increased. Uh, I was exposed to the, the Mariner 9 uh, uh, discoveries of Mars, and, mm -hmm. and that, that piqued my interest in, in the planet Mars, and I started to, uh, more seriously observing Mars. So I was uh, observing Mars. I've been observing Mars since about 69, wow. 1969. So. Um, and then once I met up with Don and Jeff, uh, my interest in Mars really took off. Now, is and, that how you got involved with the ALPO? Yes. Uh, okay. That's when I met up with Don and Jeff, uh, that's why my interest uh, uh, was with, uh, I became a member of, of ALPO, and uh, we were fortunate, the three of us, to have a mentor in, with uh, Charles uh, Capon. No, he was okay. a prof 
Chick, uh, Charles Chick Capen, a former Mars recorder uh, for the uh, Mars section of ALPO. And uh, he was a planetary, professional planetary astronomer that worked for Lowell Observatory. And uh, he took us on as his, as his students, as his disciples. And he actually taught us how to professionally study and, and discuss the observations that we were making of the planet Mars at the time. And uh, he was he mentored us, and and uh, he uh, guided Don uh, with his imaging because uh, Chick was actually a, peer, a pioneer himself in planetary imaging, mm -hmm. and um, Jeff was uh, an engineer, and he um, was a, a professional. Well, he was an instrument maker and he, mm -hmm. uh, other things, and so he he had his technical expertise, and I was more the the um, generalists, um, you know, I was into the plant, the Martian nomenclature and okay. and the uh, the observing and the drawing and, and stuff like that. So each of us uh, with Chick had a purpose mm. and, and we, it all came together and uh, we were able to make significant uh, contributions. Uh, one, one contribution was... Uh, for for a long time, it was thought by professional astronomers that the regression of the Martian North Polar Cap was was linear or was steady. Mm -hmm. And but with um, Don and Jeff and Chick and myself doing filer micrometer measurements of the North Polar Cap of Mars, we were able to prove that the regression of the North Polar Cap was not linear. And uh, Don and Jeff, along with Chick, presented it, uh, this finding at a, a professional mm -hmm. planetary meeting, and the professional astronomers were just flabbergasted <laughs> that, that a group of amateurs using what they would consider small telescopes, instruments, were able to to make this finding, and uh, that was one of the uh, the early uh, beginnings of the amateur professional collaboration that that we see a lot of today. But it was it was pretty rare for professionals at that time, uh, and I'm talking about the early early 80s or right. there, late 70s, early 80s. There was a uh, not not usual, not typical for professionals to uh, to uh, coordinate observations or th or, or data with uh, amateurs, and it was the uh, beginning. And now we see a lot of it, which is wonderful. You've got amateur astronomers with capable instruments and and, and uh, cameras uh, looking for exoplanets and uh, mm -hmm. and all these other you know and and supernova, and it's just it's amazing. But yeah, you know, it's come along way yeah pro-amp collaboration is a big deal in the alpo it has been for years and like you mentioned that was the start of it really yes yeah I, so, it, it, so you were a member of the infamous black hole gang i take it right <laughs> that's uh yeah, go ahead go ahead Tim. I, I i've asked many people where the name came from and no one's given me a good answer yet do you have anything well i think um I think uh, maybe Don and I think Don and Chick came up with the name. Sounds like something Don Jeff. would do. It does yeah, sound like maybe Jeff contributed to it too, but yeah. it was just um, uh, a, you know a, a, a fun name to have for the mm -hmm. for the group and and uh, the, a member of the group also was Tom Dobbins, who's right. also an Alpha Alpha member, and. Um, 
uh, Tippy Deoria, who's uh, known for uh, the Winter Star Party. And uh, so it, it was just a, a, a group of uh, guys who enjoyed getting together and, mm-hmm. and, and talking about planetary astronomy and all the things that we were doing. And uh, it, was, it gave us a lot of things to do, and it was a, a fun time. And if Don was involved, there's probably a lot of laughter involved too. Oh, we never that that was the thing about Don. He was incredibly talented, but he was he was one of the funniest people yep. that I mean it was it was impossible not to be around him and not laugh because he was always he was always making us and everyone else laugh. So Yeah, I, I met him on a few occasions and it, it, I always had a good time. He was always very cordial, very nice guy, and you know, very open with everyone. Yeah. Good good guy. Yeah, yeah. So, so what do you what are your yeah. what are some of your favorite me- memories about Don? Oh, uh, memories of Don is uh, well his uh, it, his personality is mm-hmm. his laughter, but um, he was very knowledgeable about uh, about uh, science and uh, planetary astronomy, and he was always uh, he always pushed himself constantly. Uh, you know, as far as how to improve his imaging uh, with film he would um, he would use special fine re- fine grain resolution film uh, tp2415 i think it was mm. and he would uh, he would use it and put it into a hyper he would hyper it which make would make the film more sensitive and so he would try to constantly uh, use different techniques and different methods in order to improve the sensitivity of the film that he was using to image the planets. And then later on, he would do the same thing with the uh, CCD camera. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned Chick, and Chick lived in uh, Flagstaff, I believe, right? Right. He yeah, lived he, mostly in Flagstaff, yeah. And worked at Lowell Observatory. What, what Lowell about, Observatory. How, how, how many interactions did you have with Chick, and what were they like? Well, I, I mostly communicated by uh, phone and mail with Chick, but I, okay. we would get together. I, I did have the pleasure of going out to uh, to Flagstaff and uh, observing Mars with him with the Lowell twenty four inch. Oh, nice! So that was a great memory. Yeah, I've that had opportunities. Yeah, I've yeah. had opportunities to use that telescope in the past too, and it's an amazing scope. It is, and it's, it was recently refurbished also. But um, so uh, I was able to get together with Chick, and and he was just wonderful. And mm-hmm. uh, the thing with Chick is that he was trained by uh, Earl Carl Slifer, E.C. Slifer, who was oh. the Observatory of the Slifer brothers. It was Earl Slifer and Vesto Slifer. And uh, Vesto Slifer was... Uh, one of the pioneers in the discovery of the, the expansion of the universe, the Big Bang. I mean, Hubble is given credit, but it was actually his discovery of the expansion, along with a uh, French Jesuit priest, Lacaille, I think. And um, they discovered the initial the expansion, and then Hubble was able to prove it using the 100-inch uh, telescope at Mount Wilson. But uh, so you had Vesto Slifer and then Earl Slifer. Earl Slifer was one of the was one of the pioneers in planetary imaging. Using the Lowell twenty four inch, he started imaging Mars back in nineteen oh five. 
And um, he continued to image Mars until 1964 when he passed away. And uh, he literally, literally took thousands upon thousands of images of the planet Mars showing uh, changes. And uh, they were phenomenal. And I mean, uh, they may not be as sharp as some of the CCD images we see nowadays, mm-hmm. but they did contain a lot of information. And and he was the premier imager of the uh, of the time. And then he he and his brother Vesso Slifer, in turn, were trained by uh, Percival Lowell himself. Oh. So Lowell trained the Slifer brothers, and the Slifer brother and Earl Slifer trained Chick, and then Chick. Trains us. Wow. So I guess that's I guess a pretty good way, lineage right there. <laughs> that's impressive. Wow. It, I guess in a way we were somehow trained by Lowell himself. So uh, we we're very fortunate. We we're very lucky. It's very cool. And you met and you mentioned Jeff, Jeff Beach as well. I've tried for years to get Jeff on this podcast, and he'll say yes, and then he'll say no, and then he'll say yes. And so it's a, if you could do anything about that, you know, I'd appreciate it. But he I think he would be a lot of fun to get on as well. He's he's oh, quite he's the pretty, not, it's quite yeah, the personality. <laughs> yeah, yes, he is. And um, I, I really admire Jeff. And he's extremely knowledgeable, wonderful person and his family. And um, he's got he's got so many stories that you, mm-hmm. you'd have to you'd have to have several podcasts with, you know, with him because he's just got so many stories to tell. Well, yeah, I'll Google his name and astronomy and all these articles come up of you guys and and various years of observing Mars and things like that. And he really, writes really well. He's very articulate. Oh, he's, he's very articulate. Yeah, yeah very and, knowledgeable. And it's just like, just come on the podcast and say what you've written there. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I mean, keep, I'll one, keep bugging him. Maybe someday he'll come yeah. on. I'll break him down. You know, one of the things that Jeff uh, did with Chick and, and with us is he cataloged uh, thousands of observations of Mars and he had uh, the, the clouds on Mars the, uh, the regular clouds and the mm-hmm. dust clouds and stuff. And he uh, produced a paper on it, which is uh, a pretty impressive paper of the the evolution of the clouds over the uh, the planet Mars. That was one of the things he did. And uh, I was fortunate that me, Jeff and I, he's got a or had a incredible 16-inch F7 Newtonian reflector. And we we actually prepared for the Shoemaker-Levy 9 um, impacts. We started uh, practicing about a year before the impacts or as soon as it was announced. Wow. That because um, the first impact was to occur in the afternoon in South Florida at about 5, five o'clock in the afternoon. It was daylight. So we uh, started observing uh, Jupiter using his 16-inch F7, and um, then the uh, day came uh, on July 16th for the uh, impact of impact the impact site A or 21, and we started observing. We found Jupiter, and as we had before, and but uh, you know the skies are all blurry and the heat and mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. and the image is bouncing around the Im- the uh, field but um, so we kept observing and a little bit after five five or five o'clock in the afternoon Jeff thought he had seen something in the southern part of the disk of the of Jupiter but he wasn't sure and then he kept we kept observing and then as it got close to seven o'clock at night the seeing all of a sudden steadied and boom we we were able to see the impact a uh, site. 
And uh, that was amazing because then he contacted uh, um, um, Brian Marsden from mm. CBAT, and he he told us that we were the first persons on Earth to report the impact site visually, uh, because the the Hubble the Hubble Space Telescope and a, and other observatories, including one in Spain, had imaged the plume, but they had not That's sent right. their they hadn't sent their data until later that evening. So technically, Jeff, Jeff, and I, and his daughter also was part of the team that that saw it, uh, Natalie, and uh, we were actually the first ones to actually report it. So, but That's it was awesome. just, yeah, it was an amazing time. Yeah, and that was we were, that was yeah, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen through a telescope because it's yeah. like you're watching live actors, live the things happening live on a planet, which you never see. You know, right. <laughs> right. And I actually, through with the uh, Planetary Society, I, I had written a book, a handbook for mm. the event, for the event. And um, it, you know, it looked at all the different scenarios of what the impact could look like. Because most, to be honest, most people were saying, most astronomers and professionals were saying it was going to be a dud and mm -hmm. that amateurs on Earth wouldn't be able to see anything unless you had, you had these giant telescopes looking in the infrared, right. you know, for the, for the heat. But but no one no one thought that you're going to see these giant black, black crescent dots. marks yeah that's uh, over the southern hemisphere of the, of the planet so it, we were just flabbergasted and excited mm -hmm. that it turned out the way it did and then Jeff and I for the next six days you know for all the different impacts we were able to see all the all the visible impacts over the southern uh, part of the planet and uh, we followed it over a period of of months and actually over a year and to see how it evolved. And that was just a really amazing time. That was, that's yeah, that, that was a lot of fun during that time. I really enjoyed that. Now yeah. you've been with the Alpo for a number of years. What have you seen in the evolution of the organization? Well, what I've seen is uh, it's, it's comprised of uh, very dedicated individuals who, um, who share their, their enthusiasm and their love for the study of planetary astronomy. And um, we've, uh, the ALPO has incorporated uh, the, uh, the media. They've, you know, learned uh, to use the social media to, mm -hmm. uh, to expose uh, other interested persons in planetary astronomy to the, to ALPO and um, using the new, uh, technology and stuff to show uh, instantly. Um, if, in the past, we'd have to wait to announce a, a discovery, mm -hmm. a dust storm or a cloud or something like that. But now, the, if if someone sees anything instantaneously, it's able to be reported to the rest of the uh, the members of Alpo, and uh, I, it's just uh, amazing how we've progressed over the uh, decades. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's one vehicle I've used with, with this podcast. And I also do the, the Twitter accounts for the Alpo and just trying to get information out there as soon as I hear about it, you know, just right. forward it on. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the irony, the irony is that a, a lot of people think that amateurs cannot contribute to planetary astronomy because we've got all these giant telescopes, the Hubble and mm -hmm. giant uh, telescopes and observatories. And we've got all these spacecraft orbiting the planets and stuff. But they have to realize that uh, 
these the uh, the observatories don't study the planets for the the majority of times there's right. very few observatories that are dedicated to monitoring the planets including the hubble the hubble only takes these fantastic images of the planets but it's only a, a very small percentage of its observing time and the same the same thing applies to the major observatories so that actually the professionals actually depend upon mm -hmm. amateurs and especially now with these incredibly talented imagers to monitor the planets to see what's you know to see what's going on and if uh it's an apparition of mars and and we've got uh, observers and imagers looking at uh, mars and all of a sudden a dust storm develops it's usually the amateurs that are the first ones to report it not the professionals and and that's what they depend upon so um it's it's important for organizations such as the uh, alpo to bring together uh these interested parties in order to dispense the the information to the public and to the professionals so it's 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 still a, a vital a link in the in the chain that's very well said true true now let's talk about you for a minute let's what you're an artist and i mean that in the most respected terms you i've seen your paintings online and your artwork on your facebook page and things like that are you formally trained in art I've had I've had some training in art, um, I've, you know, art school and high school and, and stuff like that. But I, I've never had formal training in art. It was it was it's been mostly self-taught. And uh, I started like everyone uh, doing drawings. Uh, my earliest observations of mm -hmm. Mars and the planets were uh, made with uh, pencil and, and drawings. And then I've you know I've used other media, including. Uh, colored pencils and watercolor and you know di different things until finally uh, in the mid 90s to early 2000s i started uh, getting with involved with digital art okay and so i've i've mostly uh, moved over to digital so most of my, the, my observations now are, are primarily digital if you do these it's amazing not, planetary landscapes and things like that they're just beautiful well, thank you. But uh, the you know, luckily we've got these great images taken by the spacecraft of the surface of Mars and other planets, and um, and other images and and data. And so, using that, uh, I am able to construct what I believe a, a an observer, an astronaut standing on the surface of Mars or any other object would would see assume, you know using the the the, the information and uh, certain uh, the light lighting and stuff like that. So I try to I try to make the the uh, paintings as accurate as possible. And obviously, they may be a little bit artistic, mm -hmm. but um, I, I try to make them as accurate as possible. And I, I do them primarily to, to be honest, to not just to produce the painting for the painting itself, which is fun, but also to educate. Because you know, it, it's uh, when we are, when we observe Mars and and we observe a dust storm or other phenomena over the planet and the other planets. You know, I like I would like I like to explain to to people um, what is actually going on, mm -hmm. because it's it's not just a question of a pretty picture or a pretty image, but it's also to to understand what's behind um, 
the uh, the phenomena that we're seeing. So uh, that's that's one of my primary reasons for producing my paintings. Okay, and you said now now they're mostly digital drawings that you're doing. Digital I, I make them on the computer, uh, primarily using uh, what's called Adobe Photoshop. Okay. Wow. How long did it take you to perfect this? Well, I guess to the level I am now, I guess it took, you know, some time, like uh, decades, like yeah. over 20, over 20 years, I'd say, you know, probably close to 30. But um, it, it's just, a, a you know, it's not something that, uh, that anyone's going to pick up overnight. Right. But, you know, if they practice at it, like, like observing, um, they can, they can improve upon it. And that's one of the things as far as drawing and observing the planets, um, an example, in this case, Mars, um, I would, I would argue that anyone, even if they had, had no artistic talent or considered that they had no artistic talent, if they started drawing what they saw through the telescope, they took a blank disc and tried to represent what they see through the eyepiece of on the planet Mars. If they did that constantly every night for a period of weeks, they would notice that their drawings would be better, become better and more accurate. But it would also help train their eyes to see more detail. So it's, it's not just a question of producing a nice, pretty drawing or a pretty picture. It's helping to train the eye in order to detect more detail over the planet. That's very true. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir right here. I run the training for a program for the Alpo, and that is my mantra. I mean, you got to get out there and observe. I, I have students come in the program that after making 10 drawings, they want to graduate. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, you got, yeah. I, I, I don't judge them based upon their artistic ability. I judge them based upon what they're seeing on the planet. You know, what, what are they able to identify and, and communicate in their drawing? You know, it's not all about a pretty picture. And, and that's, and like, like you mentioned, I mean, the longer you observe, the better you train your eye to see finer details. Well, we've all been to star parties where you put, you know, a galaxy in the eyepiece. And as an astronomer, you walk up to the eyepiece, you go, yeah, I see that galaxy there. Yeah. And then the public gets behind you and they don't see anything because your eyes have been trained to pick out the fine details of what you're seeing through the eyepiece. That's true. That's true, Tim. And also um, a good and a bad thing is that, you know, the Hubble and other major observatories mm -hmm. have taken these incredible images of Jupiter and Mars and the planets and the, unfortunately, a lot of the public thinks that when they look through the eyepiece, yep. they're going to they're gonna see the same thing. And uh, that's you and I know that's not the case. And uh, you have to you have to be extremely patient when you're observing. And I've I've been observing Mars like over an hour mm -hmm. and the seeing was was very average or below average. And I, I would just wait for an hour to get 30 seconds of steady seeing in order to see what's visible on the planet. So you, you have to be very patient and you're not going to always see the same amount of detail over the planet, depending on, you know, which lo longitude is facing you right. or, you know, what features are visible and obviously your scene conditions, the, your, the size of your instrument. I mean, mm -hmm. all these are factors that you have to take into when you're observing, but it's, it's just a matter of practice. And the more you, like you said, the more you practice, the more you're going to see. That's true. That's true. And that, that's a hard thing for people to understand because like you mentioned, they see the Hubble photographs, they see Damien Peach's photographs, they see, you know, people like that. 
oh yeah, this is what they saw. Well, this is not what Damien saw through his telescope. This is what he imaged through his telescope with an expensive CCD camera and software after the fact. You know, right. it's, it's, right. not, it's not what you see when you look through the eyepiece. And that's what you try to communicate to people. And, and you know, this is what's possible with the telescope and a CCD imager. But exactly. as for yeah. physically yeah. seeing those things, sometimes you can, like you said, when the scene pops at a certain second and you got you know, a second and a half of perfect scene, you can see that detail. But you got to be looking through the eyepiece to do that. That's the only way you can train yourself. Exactly. And an example, um, back in 1979 or 1980 around there, uh, we were observing Mars. It was a uh, half-helic apposition uh, of Mars. And uh, we were looking at the North Polar Cap, which was visible at the time. And with using my C8, uh, one of the early C8s, it was a great optics, um, I was able to discern what was called the, the Rima Tenuous, which is a rift in the North Polar Cap, before Don and Jeff were able to pick it out with their 12 and a half inch telescopes. Mm. Mm. So, but that, I, I think that was a, that was a, a factor, the, you know, the fact that I had been training my eye for some time. Right. So, you know, the, the instrument was excellent. The scene cooperated. But because I had trained my eye, I was able to discern that feature uh, at the time when other imagers and observers were using larger instruments. So you can you, you, you'd be amazed as, as to what you can see if you train yourself. It's very true. Very true. Good point. Now, um, what tools do you use when you're observing the planets? Um, well, obviously, you know, depending on the instrument I'm using, uh, one of my primary instruments uh, at this time is uh, a nine-inch uh, Maxitoff Cassegrain, uh, a Rumac Maxitoff that a friend of mine, uh, Michael Palamidi, uh, constructed for me mm-hmm. with excellent optics. It's got one-eighth uh, optics on it. And I've observed this tiny detail on Mars up to 800x and more. But um, that's my primary instrument. And I use that. And uh, depending on which planet uh, I'm observing, I also uh, use at times uh, different filters, um, Rattan filters, uh, including the, you know, the red filters and the mm-hmm. orange filters for the albedo features and the blue filters for the clouds and green for the ice. But um, so I use that, and um, uh, d- you know, depending on the, the the what I'm trying to observe and how large the planet appears in the eyepiece, you know, I try different uh, techniques. Okay, all right. Uh, what suggestions would you give someone just starting out with lunar and planetary observing? I know you mentioned spend time in the eyepiece, but what other things? Well, try to um, I, you know any observer. Uh, I would say learn as much about the the object or the subject that you're observing example in this case mars um, try to read up on it as much as possible so that when you're looking through the eyepiece it's not just oh yeah i see the dark features the albedo features oh yeah i see the, the the north polar cap and stuff like that but if you try to actually learn about the objects, you know what you you know what you, what you're actually looking at. I think it helps the observer appreciate more what is in the eyepiece field at the time. Uh, 
And um, obviously, as I said before, you you have to be very patient. You know, it's you're not going to see everything at all at one time, and um, the observer is going to have to figure out, uh, depending on where they live, their their latitude. You know, people in the northern uh, more north are affected by seeing conditions more than the people in the south, and uh, so you have to figure out when the best time to observe and uh, allow. Always allow, one of the rules is you always allow, no matter what instrument you have, time for your instrument to cool off mm -hmm. before you start observing. Because if you take a telescope that's in, indoors and you take it out immediately and it's cool to cold weather, the, the heat coming off the instrument is going to affect your observing. So you, you have to allow the, the uh, telescope to cool uh, before you start observing, make sure your instrument, because some telescopes are more sensitive to collimation, right. make sure that the instrument is collimated and um, try not observing over concrete. And you know, if you can observe over a grassy area, that'll help with your local, what's called the local scene conditions. And um, if you if you do all these things, you know, these procedures, it will increase the odds of you having a su successful observing session. That's very good. Good, good, good advice. What's your current, you mentioned the nine inch max suit off you have. What other observing equipment do you currently have? Um, I have, uh, well, I've got my old C8 and. Um, that the orange tube one? The orange tube one, the yeah, 1976. Okay. I've oh had that goodness. one. Yeah, and that that one's given me great images. It still gives great images, and um, uh, some other uh, instruments. Uh, I've got a, uh, a eight inch Clev uh, uh, Cassegrain. It's a it uses a Mangin mirror, and it's a it gives uh, it's a Russian design, and it uh, gives great images as well. Mm. And um, I, I have I still have my mirror for my twelve and a half inch Newtonian that I've used in the past. I have to set it up again, but uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping to use these instruments as well as other instruments in the in the area to um, to observe the planets uh, whenever I have the opportunity. That's great. That's great. Do you have any other interests outside of astronomy and art? Um, I, I when I can, I enjoy fishing and right. uh, the outdoors, and so I try to uh, participate in that as much as possible as well. That's great. You a good fisherman. I think so. well, at least uh, I'm. You know, I'm from Florida, so ah. um, I'm from Florida, so I'm usually a, a bass fisherman. Okay. And can um, Florida and California two great places if uh, you're a bass into bass fishing? And uh, but you know, I, I've also enjoyed saltwater fishing as well. And and so as, as long as I I'm able to have, to have fun and enjoy the outdoors, I think that's the important thing. That's true. Well, Carlos, this has been fun. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I just, uh, what we've uh, talked about before and um, uh, just um, do the best, you know, and the, the, the main thing I would tell anyone, Tim, is to have fun. You know, it's it's great to it's great to share your your observations and 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 talk to other people about what you know and your your what you observed or what you've imaged. But you, the, the important thing is for the person to have fun making the observations because once you 
is once you stop having fun, it becomes a drudgery. And I, I don't, I, I hope that would never happen to anyone. And just uh, have fun. But if possible, you know, share your, your, your observations and your interest with others in, in organizations such as the, the Association of Lunar Planetary Observers. And that way it, uh, it gives even more meaning to, to what you're doing. That's true. Yeah, yeah, get the observation out there because, like you mentioned, the professionals do rely on us in a lot of That's ways. True. Yes, in very lot, true. In a lot of ways, we're there's a lot more of us than there are of them. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, very good. All right, well, Carlos, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast today. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Tim. It's my pleasure, and uh, best wishes to uh, to all the members of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, and happy 75th anniversary. Oh, thank you very much. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank Carlos Hernandez for coming on the podcast and giving us a little insight into his background, his love for art and astronomy. I hope you all enjoyed it. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please head over there and give us a five-star rating and a review. I really appreciate it. It brings more people to the podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo and Spotify. And we are also now on the ALPO YouTube channel. Just go over there and check that out as well. You can help support the podcast by donating to via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you will receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moore, for their continued generous support of the podcast. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. You can get a hold of me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at observersnppod. Until next time. I hope that you all have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.